Welcome to You Love Life, a podcast, an exploration about love, sex, romance, marriage, monogamy, and intimacy. And I'm your host, Roman Wyden. Welcome back. Today, I'm excited to introduce a book called Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. I'm joined by the authors, Gay Hendricks and Carol Klein. Gay Hendricks has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. Gay is a New York Times bestselling author, and his books include Conscious Loving and The Big Leap. Carol Klein has devoted her career to teaching, writing, and speaking about consciousness and personal growth. Carol is also a number one New York Times bestselling author and the co-author of Happy for No Reason, Love for No Reason, and five books in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Welcome, guys. Thank you. you Great being with you. Thank you. Same here. I really appreciate you taking time to come on. You have a new book coming out, and that book is called Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. So I am really curious. First of all, I like to break things down, right? First of all, I want to ask what conscious luck is, and then I would like to talk about intentionally. So maybe, um, Gay, if you'd like to go ahead and what is conscious luck to you? Most people think of luck as something that gets handed to them somehow at birth or kind of like a bolt of lightning or something like that. But conscious luck is really all about taking charge of luck in your own life and being willing to have to invent luck to instead of having to be born with luck, you decide one day I'm going to be one of the lucky ones and the human mind and the human spirit have the capability of bringing anything to life. I mean, look, it's where bridges come from. It's where I'm looking at a school across the street that just built a new building a while back. The the human mind is endlessly inventive. And if we can create ourselves as lucky, why not? Because it affects every part of life. It's also an experiment for you to perform, too, in just seeing how much the power of our minds have over our destinies. William James, who was considered the father of American psychology back in the 19th century, said that the greatest discovery of his time, which is the 19th century, which is where locomotives and telephones and telegraphs and all that got invented, but he said the actual greatest discovery was by changing your thoughts in your mind, you could change the actual quality of your life. And so there's a tremendous amount of effect between how we think about the world and how we think about ourselves and what actually happens to us. And so what Carol and I are up to is helping people consciously recreate themselves as lucky human beings so that they don't have to leave luck to chance. You can do it by pure intention. Got it. Now, there's obviously a lot of books out there on manifestation or synchronicity, right? Um, uh, perhaps, Carol, tell us, how did you arrive at, the, at using the word luck, right? Because it does have, like Gay said, it does have this, this listening in the public that it's something that just kind of happened by chance. Well, I actually can't take credit for putting those two words together because I am a Johnny come lately or Joni come lately in this situation. I was lucky enough to read this manuscript in 2012 when Gay first put it together. And Gay has a brand called Conscious Loving, Conscious Whatever. And so Conscious Luck was an extension of his brand, but I had never seen those two words together in my life. I, like most people, thought that luck was mysterious, serendipitous, you know, good things happen, bad things happen. I had no control over that. That was the definition of luck. So to see those two words together, conscious luck was extremely powerful because what it meant to me, and it took me a while to actually dive into it with Gay. I just read the seed form of this manuscript and I was struck. The first three chapters are very much like they were in the original manuscript. They've been edited and added to, but this idea of 
I didn't know that luck also, there was a whole body of scientific literature on luck in the positive psychology uh, annals. You know, they have done a tremendous amount of research on how, what luck is and who people who self-describe as lucky and optimism and mindset and all these things. So coming at it as, um, as a scientist, as a writer, and as just a human who admires Gay Hendricks, I was really blown away by those two pieces together. So what I would say in answer to your question about synchronicities and manifestation is that you're creating your luck right now, unintentionally. That what we call luck is, you know, random successes or failures is really the cumulative effect of everything that you do in your life. So why not intentionally change your luck for the better? Why not improve your good fortune? Because the thing that was the meta shift for me came from an interview with Tina Selig, a Stanford professor, and I think Gay alluded to it slightly in a, a moment ago, where she said, people think of luck as a random isolated event, like a lightning strike, when in fact, it's a wind that's always blowing. And you just need to build a sail based on your behaviors. And I would add attitudes and associations to harness that wind. So when I looked back at my life and I thought, wow, my luck has been good and bad, lots of good luck. But I realized that I could be more proactive. I could be intentional about it. That's when it got exciting. And I really enjoyed the process of collaborating with Gay because the guy's a genius. What can I say? One of the most creative thinkers I know, original thinkers. And I got to just, you know, play with him in this arena. And uh, manifestation and synchronicities are part of luck. And manifesting luck in your life is not a mystery. It's not four-leaf clovers. It's very clear. Four core shifts and four daily practices that we Beautiful. outline in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you say that, um, Gay, for example, you know, can, can, can we say or can we look at it this way that if somebody has is more unlucky in their lives versus lucky, is that they're perhaps more of a, and I'm going to break this down simplistically, more of a negative thinker, like a pessimist versus an optimist? Could we simplify it a little bit that way? <coughs> Uh, yes, Roman, as long as we understand that human beings, the human mind, the human body even, is incredibly changeable, incredibly malleable, that um, I want people to understand that they're a process in being. And like in my own life, I've made a transition from being a very negative thinker early in my life. And I would say if you visited my family dining table and when I was 10 years old, you probably wouldn't have heard a positive thing being said around it. And so I think there was a family tradition of, of kind of focusing on the glass being half full. And I also live next door to my grandparents and I can see where a lot of that came from too. So I come from three generations of negative thinkers for sure. And I, I made a decision to change all that, though, because I didn't like going around all the time. Like even to this day, if I call my brother, he's 83 years old, and I say, uh, well, a beautiful day back there or something, he'll say, yeah, but they're expecting rain about 2 o'clock. <laughs> There'll always be kind of some kind sort of a negative spin. I, I sent him one of my uh, mystery novels. And uh, he read it, and he only said one thing, that there was a word misused on page 281. Oh. <laughs> he, didn't th- he didn't say thanks for sending me the free book or anything like that. So I know many of you have family members like this too, but yep. whatever our programming has been in the past, what we need to do is take a look at our lives now and say, how do I want it to be now? Because the past was back then. And... Uh, if there's one thing I've learned, I saw my first client in 1968 and my last one at nine o'clock this morning. And so in those convening or intervening years, I've seen about 20,000 individuals. And one thing I'm absolutely convinced of after all of that experience is that human beings always have the capacity to change their lives in any moment. Your spiritual growth, your psychological growth, your emotional growth does not have to proceed linearly through time. You know, so we're only, uh, we always say, Katie and I work a lot with couples, and um, Katie and I have been together for 40 years now. Katie's my wife, Kathleen Hendricks, and uh, also a PhD psychologist, and 
Um, she was the original person with whom I wrote a conscious book, our book Conscious Loving, uh, that we wrote after 10 years of our marriage, which uh, landed us on Oprah and uh, became a big, big bestseller 30 years ago. So she and I wrote uh, that first book together out of wanting to create something brand new in the field of relationship psychology. Just like Carol and I want to create something brand new in the field of positive psychology, we want people to take on the the choice to change their luck. And we want people to do it, not just as a mental thing, but as a whole person adventure to recreate themselves, mind, body, spirit, as a person who's always looking for the lucky thing to happen, always looking for where good luck is about to occur. And there's no better way to start than just declaring yourself this moment a lucky person. We have a chapter in the book called VLP, be a VLP, a very lucky person. Well, you don't have to join any clubs or pay any dues or anything like that. You initiate yourself on the spot consciously to being a lucky person. And then watch what happens out there in, in your life as a result. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, so I'm declaring myself as a VLP right now. And I'm going to report back to you guys in the next couple of days uh, about what happens today because I can feel something great is going to happen. And well, great. You know, if, if if you would please go, um, if it does, please uh, go to our Facebook page because yep. lots of people are sharing their conscious luck stories there, and some of them are just really fun to read. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting is I hear a lot of people say, well, well, yeah, I mean, some money came in the mail, but, but that was due to you. And I say, well, but it came today. And this morning I said, there'll be money in my mailbox, right? Just to use an example. And I think we often uh, discard it. We often take the oomph out of the, 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 the situation or the, the happening. So Carol, why do you think that is that we, you know, perhaps like, why do we even use the word luck and, and it means random coincidence? Is it because we don't believe in the power? We don't have that power. And so therefore we just write it off. That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm a word person and I looked up luck, of course, when I first started working on this book. And it is the apparent, you know, it's like apparently uh, you get good luck and success. You get success and good fortune um, apparently without any effort on your own part. It comes not connected to you, which is just a group hypnosis. Um, this is not what luck is. And I think something you said just a minute ago about people sort of discounting things that happen to them and feeling like, you know, it's due, that's, that opens up a huge thing. But something you asked gay and to ponytail or piggyback on that, in positive psychology, people who are unlucky, self-reported unlucky, have a cluster of personality traits. They tend to um, be very rigid in their focus. And so when they go to a party, they want to meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and they end up not meeting someone who could take them to another place in their career or a good friend. They look through the, um, through the want ads with a certain job in mind, or they, they have a certain a rigidity in their focus and they don't open themselves. They also are not resilient. When something happens, they close themselves down and don't try again. So are all these uh, things that you could say sort of are characteristic of people who have a negative mindset, who feel they're unlucky. And then people who are self-reported luck, lucky people, optimism, resilience, buoyancy, ability to, um, you know, put themselves out, take chances, uh, take small risks. So becoming a lucky person is not, you know, anything very mysterious. It has to do with, as Gay said, conscious change begins with willingness and then a conscious commitment. But I am a very practical person. And I feel that that commitment is the the prow of the ship. It breaks the ice in front of you. It's the cow catcher on the locomotive. It's the first step and it will change. And what's interesting is that lucky charms like rabbit's feet and lucky socks at golf, they do work, but you know why? Because you'll believe you're lucky. So this is a really powerful place. And I think for people to understand that commitment is the first step for you to say, this is going to be a lucky day. I'm a VLP, very important, but not the whole thing. 
that that Got is it. the start Got of it. Then you have to get rid of the blocks. Then you have to, and if you're luck, if you're smart, you'll use uh, chapter three, which basically plants the energy of shame that you are the property, the space that you're holding shame in your body, not your mind, but your body, and using it for a different purpose. And then there are four practices, uh, lucky goals, and then four practices. So all those together will create luck, guaranteed. That's great. So perhaps this is a good moment to talk about um, some of the core shifts, right? Um, perhaps, Gay, if you want to talk about, like, first of all, what is a core shift for those listening, right? What does that mean? It would be a shift in your mind or your body or your emotions that transport you out of one way of being and into another. For example, I mentioned being able to create a new positive thought. There was this one magical day in my life when I was 14 years old. I tell the story in the book. But when I was 14 years old, I had a shift, and I would call it a classic core shift because I went from thinking of myself as an unlucky person to thinking of myself as a lucky person. And I just consciously changed that thought because I happened to be sitting next to a kid at a movie theater when they had a drawing. There was 250 people in the theater and we'd all put our tickets in a, uh, with our names on it in a goldfish bowl and they stuck their hand into a goldfish bowl and drew out three tickets. And this kid next to me, Dewey or Danny, he has said to me, watch this, I'm going to win one of these um, prizes. And I said, okay, for sure. And so they pulled out three and he was the number one one. He won the uh, wristwatch. And afterwards I said, how did you do that? And he said, well, one day I just made up my mind to be, quote, one of the lucky ones. That was his word for it. And he had observed that some members of his family were lucky and good things seemed to happen to them. And some members of his family were unlucky and bad things seemed to happen to them or nothing seemed to happen to him. So he just decided one day, I'm going to be one of the lucky ones. And then he said he started winning lotteries and things like that. So this was when I was 14 years old. And I was walking home from the movie theater afterwards. And I was thinking about all this. And I said, okay, well, What's to stop me from just declaring myself one of the lucky ones? And so I went ahead and did that. I've decided to be one of the lucky ones. That was my thought at the time. And I got such a reward for it because right away, within a couple of days, I had a lucky break. I found a briefcase on the street that happened to belong to a famous coin collector, and it had a fortune in uh, collectible coins in it. And I re returned it to the man who had left it on the street and he gave me a big financial reward. It was big in 1959. It was a, a coin collection worth about $35. It was a complete collection of Buffalo nickels. And so uh, nowadays it would probably be worth, you know, five or $600, something like that. But I made 50 cents on my allowance every week if I did my chores properly. So having an extra $35 thing in my life was like a whoa. And so that made a big impression on me that on one day I had changed my mind to become a lucky person. And then I had this lucky break happen. And so that's what started me focusing on this. And then, of course, it took me 50 years to get around to writing the book about it. <laughs> so now this, this is sort of, you could say, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, that something happened in your environment, like Danny uh, almost proved to you that what he was saying was then becoming a reality. So it shifted you to declare yourself as a, a, a lucky person. Now, how can someone consciously with them taking action now without shifting, without the environment bringing in this quote unquote evidence, how can someone create them? Is it simply just a declaration? Yes. Is it, I know you talked about taking out the blocks and there's obviously more that uh, our listeners can read in the book about that for sure. But in a nutshell, is it simply a declaration followed by what I call cleanup work and, and getting yourself, get the magnet clean to attract or manifest? Yes. The important part is commitment. That's the first step really. Uh, to have a positive thought, you know, to create yourself as being a lucky person. That's an amazing thing to do, to declare yourself as a lucky person, even though you don't have any evidence for it. But that's the miracle. Um, like my old friend Wayne Dyer, he and I kind of started at the same time, and Wayne has now passed on. But 
you know that old saying, I'll see it when I believe it. He says it's really the other way around. Yep. First you believe it, then you see it. And so to take on that way of looking at the world, to be able to bring something brand new into being, that's a very powerful thing to do. And it's one of the great things that human beings have going for us is the ability to declare something new. I'll say, though, that it's commitment that really gets the process going, because we put this as first up in the book, because we really want people to commit to being a very lucky person, because commitment is where the big behavior change is. If you're going to buy a car, for example, you really don't have it until you write your name down there and put your name on the contract. That's a commitment. Or when you say to your beloved, I promise to honor you all the days of my life. That's a commitment. And that's really what brings forth the required heart energy that allows you to make any kind of goal your mind comes up with real. Mm, yeah. It's interesting talking about commitment, right? When we talk about relationships, because it's like a, a marriage without the commitment is just hoping to stick together and being a, a subject to circumstances and moods and emotions and blah, 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 right? But the commitment simply is a declaration, right? And yes, then it is. And it's a declaration. Well, for metaphysicians who are listening, what you do when you create a commitment like that, or you say, I do, you're creating a new pattern in space something that has never been in existence before. And then if you keep showing up in integrity with that pattern, life proceeds very smoothly. But if you say, I do to your beloved in the morning and then go have an affair in the afternoon, it sets up a, rea uh, a rattle in your being that then has spillover effects into every area of life. As a matter of fact, I know you're a relationship um, counselor too, Roman, that my wife and I have seen over, since uh, we got together in 1980, we've seen about 4,500 couples, either in, in the office here or in our seminars. And one of the things that we work on all the time is commitment, because couples will often come in that have been married for maybe 20 or 30 years, but there's still a commitment issue. Somebody still hasn't fully committed. Yeah. And you know, we call that having one foot out the back door all the time. Unless both feet are in the house, you don't yep. get to have a quality relationship. Now, that's beautifully said. I was that person up until six years ago. I went through a, a lot uh, with my wife or she went through a lot with me. Um, but that's another story that's, that people can listen to in other episodes. But what's really great about this uh, not just related to relationships, right? Is this idea of, and, and perhaps Carol, you can talk about the luck worthy goals. Mm. Because when I first read that, I was like, it, my mind, it just took me three times to read it. Luck worthy goals. And then I went back and I went back and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to ask these guys because it's such a wonderful term. So how do, first of all, what is it? And how can I identify my luck worthy goals? Well, that's a beautiful question, and it's a really fun thing because um, right now, I don't know if I we've mentioned it, I don't think I have, um, Gay and I and another woman are working on a Conscious Luck workbook journal companion to the Conscious Luck book. And we have uh, taken the work, it's, it's basically applying the information to your specific mind-body complex with all of your, you know, whatever specifically you need to do to manifest luck in your life. So luckworthy goals, the way to understand this, and we're, so we're working on that chapter, so I'm very fresh on this right now. <laughs> okay. And that is that um, luck chases worthy goals. When you have a goal that's worthwhile, that's, then it has three qualities. It lights you up, it totally is meaningful to you, and it helps at least, it doesn't harm and at least helps other people. You know, it, it doesn't harm anyone and it helps mm. at least one other person. You have luckified your goals. <laughs> well, you came up with a new word. You've like luckified that. your goals. So it gives luck a reason to visit. It attracts luck to you. And you can't, you know, I, this is a quote from Gay, and he said it, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. Um, what you love to do and what's meaningful to you are like the twin strands of your DNA. Uh, they usually overlap. 
So mm-hmm. we have exercises uh, in the workbook and things for you to think about, questions that we raise in the book when you get to that chapter about what, if, if you had all the time and money in the world, what would you do? What is meaningful to you? What what just absolutely lights you up. And then we also have a question to ask of who does it benefit? And what we found, and there's so many fun stories of, you know, when you do something that benefits others, you sort of get yourself aligned with the, you know, the benevolent forces of the universe. And synchronicities happen. We call them universe, winks from the universe. And you'll find that Things happen. We have stories in the book. We have stories um, that people are showing up with on the uh, global, the Facebook global, uh, Conscious Love global community. So what I would say is that when you, you can take goals, um, because some of us are kind of in a situation maybe now if, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're in the middle of a global pandemic and some people are feeling a little bit pushed and pinched. And their goals might not be so lofty. They might need to homeschool their kids and and get a rent check. So how can you luckify that goal? We have how to do that. You can find how it lights you up, how it is meaningful, and how it benefits others to create that same dynamic of luckworthiness. That's beautiful. Uh, Thanks for elaborating on that. And, you know, perhaps you brought up a good point, right? We're in this pandemic. And everybody has their own version of it or their own fears looking forward. And um, I believe the same, uh, what you just mentioned goes for, let's say somebody says, well, I I don't have a school for my children. Uh, I don't know if I can homeschool. And my wife and I always say, uh, we have our our favorite saying is we're creating an extraordinary outcome. However that shows up, right? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be extraordinary. And then we just let that be and things happen. So perhaps, uh, Gay, in the conscious luck universe, what can uh, parents do right now and couples and, you know, obviously uh, whether they're married or not, but with children around right now to restore a sense of certainty and uh, safety and and uh, what I call a collectedness. So they're not all over the place and things are just happening to them, right? Well, when things are falling apart, which they are in many areas of life these days, people are losing jobs and there's tremendous amount of stress in the air. I think it's important to acknowledge, first of all, the emotional the range of emotions that human beings go through, whether they're five years old or 50 years old, that each one of us comes wired with the same emotions. All of us get angry, all of us get scared, all of us get sad, all of us get excited. So especially in this particular time, it really is important to be honest with ourselves, first of all, about all the different things we're going through. Because this is a time when we're learning to love fear in a bigger way. This is a time when we're learning to love anger in a bigger way and our sadness. And so those are the models we need to present to children, a model of authenticity and of being able to communicate clearly about what's going on inside. I don't think we should hide our feelings from kids. I think the important thing is that A lot of people get stuck at communicating with kids at the level of anger and do's and don'ts. There was a famous study done some years ago where they took little microphones and hung them around the uh, voice-activated microphones, and they put them around the necks of uh, preschoolers. And then they had the preschoolers just go through a whole week of life at home and at school. They analyzed what things were saying to the kids, and 85% of the time, what was being said was from a negative point of view. Don't do that. Quit do that. Would you please stop that? It was only 15% of the time that people were getting do's instead of don'ts. And here, try this instead of don't do that. So there's a tremendous tendency, I think, to swing into the negative when there's stress going on. But the important thing to know is that if you if you communicate from the anger level all the time at children, that's what they learn. But if you can get underneath that and tell them 
things you feel sad about or things you feel scared about, they get the feeling that you're being authentic with them. And so I'm a big, um, I practiced that at home when my own daughter was growing up. But um, in any relationship, like I said, Katie and I do a lot of work with couples. Relationship issues, whether it's with children or with couples, really depend on authenticity. And so the more you can be authentic with your kids, the more you're going to teach them lessons that are going to be useful for all life. That's great. Beautifully said. And so could we say that telling a child, and this is for either of you, um, telling a child from an early age on that they are lucky, um, I would imagine is a good thing. And are their friends perhaps going to misunderstand that and maybe, or is there any complication in that? Or do you feel it's just a a good thing to start raising a child and and saying when something good happens, wow, you're so lucky you attracted that or, you know. I think it's a good thing to call attention to children's and our own luck on a daily basis. Hmm. I I would much rather have a parent instead of teaching or teaching, trying to consciously teach a child to feel lucky to express to that child how they feel lucky. You know, like right now, as we are sitting here talking, there's a thousand things to feel lucky about. I feel like, you know, just breathing the air of this planet is a lucky break because, well, you can look out into the sky at night and see there are a whole lot of planets and a whole lot of stars out there and none of them have gotten to let them know they're occupied. So we say we're pretty lucky right here just to be in a species on a planet where we can have a conversation about conscious luck. So I like to look for the luck in every situation. And that's how I've tried to communicate more to my my own daughter rather than try to teach her luck or anything like that, just to make sure that she knows that I feel like the luckiest person on earth every day. And I'd mm. like to piggyback on that by saying that, um, you know, obviously you teach more, like Gay was saying, by example, enrolling someone just in your authentic experience. But this is a great example of modeling internal locus of control versus external locus of control. And that taking control of your luck is the primary example of that. That we think of luck as in something that happens to us when in fact we have the power. So if you know, if you're talking to your children, and I love what Gay said, because it's our eighth secret is about finding luck in every situation. And I happen to have now come to the realization that feeling lucky is more important than quote, unquote, being lucky. Because we all know people who are we would consider lucky, beautiful families, gorgeous homes, great careers, and they don't feel lucky. So are they lucky? And then you have complete control of how often you feel lucky. And we have all kinds of things on our website, consciousluck.com. We have um, two meditations you can get, three-minute meditations morning and evening to help you do luck inventories and savor and learn about gratitude and its role and appreciation in luck. We have um, a luck assessment you can do. And the new book that's coming out, our, our, our workbook companion, workbook and journal, will have a lot of things that will help you with, that children can do. There's going to be a process for what we call radical gratitude, that you can start children learning where they deal with their authentic feelings. And then in the spirit of tremendously gentle inquiry, they look to see if there's anything they can be grateful for. And that is how you learn to find the luck in every situation. Yeah, so I'm definitely present to the word gratitude, right? When you, Gay, just, I experienced it myself. I was thinking to myself, I live in this beautiful place. I'm talking to amazing people who are creating something that's good for the planet, right? For me, it was like in this moment, it's like, I don't need anything else. Like I'm healthy. My family's great, right? So I felt the goosebump effect of the gratitude. And then I asked myself, so wait, so if I'm being grateful, if I'm training myself to be, be grateful every day, am I automatically activating the luck or Carol mentioned the wind, right? Is it, am I now present to the wind or am I intensifying that wind or how would, how would I ex- 
explain that. I mean, to you, it's obvious for me, I'm like gratitude luck. How, how does it, right? Yes. I think gratitude puts us on a certain wavelength where good things occur. You know, being able to conceive of yourself as a lucky person puts you on a different wavelength. It makes you see different things. Just like that game we used to play as kids, my brother and I taking trips, you know, we would pick a car color and then we would try to spot which who got the most. And my brother yeah, was yeah. always smart because he picked white and I didn't know at the time I was eight years younger. I didn't know that all rent-a-cars in Florida were painted white. And so oh, okay. <laughs> he would always get me, you know, like 98 to two, you know, cause I would always pick some great sexy color, like red, bright red or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. But um, once you begin to look for a certain thing, you begin to see more of it. And with gratitude, the more you can express gratitude, the more you see things to be grateful for. And so I really like to start with the basics. I mean, just celebrate the fact that we're one of 8.9 million species on planet Earth, most of which are bugs. And yet we got born into this particular one where we can have a conversation like this. If we were cicadas over in my lemon tree right now that I can sort of hear at night, well, we'd be going quack, 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 all day long. But instead, we're making a much more joyful noise. And also, I love the I love the idea what Gay was talking about. Gratitude and luck are so closely aligned. When you feel lucky, there's a huge element of gratitude within it. And so they can stimulate each other. They're like two sides of a coin in many ways. And I love it. it not only practically and energetically, it draws more luck to you when you are grateful and when you appreciate others. And also just it expands the container for luck. It just actually, and the ability to find luck in your life will make you pretty much um, a lucky person, consciously and intentionally. Gee, I think they should write a book about that. Good idea. You should. <laughs> well, it's for me, it's almost like uh, gratitude is, um, you know, like for a lot of religious people, it's prayer, right? They thank God or thank the universe or for the things they've received or will receive. And then luck is almost like the the carrier, not who goes out, but the, the return of, I hate to say, a thing or an experience that shows up to show you that your gratitude has perhaps created or manifested something that you uh, wanted or needed or wished for. Is that kind of, I know that's way simplifying it, but. Uh, well, there's a whole, whole thing that I've come to really believe in um, that many years ago, I read a little book called Seed Money in Action. And it talked about a process of forward tithing. In, uh, the idea of tithing is if you get $1,000, then you give 10% of it uh, to the church or cause of your choice. Well, mm -hmm. this person in the book said, let's look at it the way it actually should work out in nature. Because, you know, a, a farmer doesn't go out into the garden and say, give me 10 pieces of corn and then I'll give one of them to the poor. You know, it doesn't work that way. You go out and you plant the garden and you tend the garden and then you get the result. And the, um, the author of the book, whose name I can't remember at the moment, um, said, why not do that in ordinary life? Give $100 to some cause of your choice or give it to your church and then let it be okay for 10 times that to come back to you. That's actually the planting of a seed. And that's the mm. way nature works. And you plant a tiny seed and suddenly you got an apple tree a while later. Mm. And so I did, I, I told my wife about it at the time and she said, well, let's try an experiment. And we took $50 and we gave it to a tree, a tree planting organization that planted trees across the Sahara Desert to check the desertification that was going on at the time. And we did it in the name of my grandmother, who was a very passionate tree lover. And she just loved trees and had beautiful oak trees on her property down south mm -hmm. and everything. And so... We, we made this $50 contribution. I totally forgot about it. But a couple of months later, I was walking past my desk and I saw a check there for $500 or something that was $536 that had come in from a um, maybe a German royalty check, something that I hadn't been expecting. So I thought, 
interesting. And Katie said, well, it looks like the uh, experiment is working. And I said, <laughs> what experiment was that? And she said, don't you remember $50? And we let it be okay to get $500 back? Oh, my goodness. You know, I saw that in action. And since then, we've done that to the max. But uh, that was my first experience of seeing how that actually worked. So I'm a big believer in manifestation practices of really focusing on planting the seed, getting the idea clear in your mind, and then letting it be okay to come to you. It's much less effortful that way. That's beautiful. Great example. Yeah, I can relate to some of those. And I've done it unconsciously so far, or maybe it was conscious, but in a different way. So I'm excited to, uh, as I make my way through the book, um, I'm already, I was telling Carol before you got on, it was like, you know, four sentences in, I'm like, yep, that's my kind of book. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was there already, which is beautiful. And I think for our listeners, shifting gears a little bit, which I don't want to, because I'm feeling so good right now, but we're going to keep this goodness, this gratitude up. I just want to talk about the uh, approach that you guys, you know, mentioned in dealing with shame and other painful emotions like fear uh, that impact the ability to actually, you know, experience good luck. So uh, who'd like to go first, but I'm a big believer in obviously the somatic, you know, the, the body keeps the, the, the shame and, and, and trauma and things it's with us. So it automatically influences everything we do. Right. I'm going to take a stab, just a short one and intro to gay, because really this was gay's discovery in his own life. But I'm just going to say that for me, I had never thought of shame as something that you held in your body. And Gay's story about it, which we use in the book, which he'll tell in a moment, really made me look in my own life. And I didn't realize I'd been in an abusive relationship as a young woman. And when we were talking to another podcast uh, host about that, I found that, that shame, unlike other emotions, which usually lodge in sort of specific areas of the body, shame can be anywhere in the body. And I've experienced it as a blush, kind of like embarrassment and humiliation that a smart woman like me would end up with an abusive guy. And it was in my face and in my neck and in my chest. I was like, oh, how humiliating. But um, that shame lives in you sometimes without you being aware of it. And Gay will tell you the story of how he discovered that for himself and the amazing, um, the, the technique that now anybody can use. So Gay, thank you for letting me do that intro. Yes. Well, what happened, I describe it in great detail in the book, but I'll give you kind of a brief version right now. My brother and I were helping clean out my mother's house after she passed away in 1990. And so I was about 45 years old at the time. And so I was on the, I was cleaning out her house and I was moving a picture frame into a box and out of the back of a picture frame fell a letter addressed to my mother the year I was born. And it was a letter from her church group. And I opened it up and it just, I, I can't tell you the effect it had on me. It was jaw dropping though, because it was to my mother begging her to come back to the group. And they were basically saying, Norma, you can't just sit in your house and feel shame all the time. You know, I, we know you're ashamed about the birth and the way it happened and what happened with your husband. And, but we're going to love you anyway. Please come back to the group. You know, we want to support you, but we can't if you won't leave the house. And so it was really... Um, heart stopper of an experience because I realized what she was ashamed about was me. And I hadn't really even considered that at the time. And so I felt suddenly this whole places in my body awaken where I could feel the shame down in my belly and into my legs and around the backsides of my body. And it was like turning on a light in a new room that I had never seen before. And I knew in my body where my fear was. I could feel it down in my belly and I could feel anger if I got my jaws tight or the back of my neck tight, or I could feel sadness if my chest felt heavy and my heart felt sad. But shame had never really registered on me. And in that moment, that area lit up so big. And I had this realization though afterwards okay, that's good. I know about that now. I know that she was ashamed about me and I see how that landed in my body. But what I want to do is replant that field now with something that's more pleasant to feel. 
you can carry around shame for 40 years and then but once you've learned to feel it and everything you don't have to sit there and dwell on it so i decided to replant the field as a consciousness i mean a conscious luck attractor and a conscious love attractor and so opening up in that moment to feel the shame i replanted the field with something that was more useful to me, like being an attractor field for love and luck. And anybody can do that. Once you open up and kind of map out the territory of a feeling in your body, then you can rededicate that territory to something different. Like if you feel heart sick in your heart, you can let yourself feel that, open up to it, love it, accept it, and then replant that field with compassion for yourself in the very same situation that you felt such sorrow about. So it's opening the door to our emotions and then deciding to put in new stuff there of our own design. That's great. And what would you say if somebody says, okay, you're talking about luck and you're talking about, you know, reprobing, reprogramming your own emotions. Is there any scientific evidence for what you're talking about? Is there something that, you know, you're like, well, this is real based on, on this, right? Oh, there's a huge amount of evidence out in the positive psychology research. Just look up any of these subjects and you'll find dozens of different scientific studies on them. You know, just we talk about like contacting old emotions like shame. One of my uh, colleagues, James Pennebaker, had an amazing study where he took people who had gone through some kind of trauma and he asked them just to sit down and write about it for four days, 15 minutes a day. So that's not a huge therapy enterprise, but you'd be surprised what happened. The group that did that, the next year he tracked the visits to the student health center because these were all students at a university. And so he tracked the group that had done the writing about their trauma and they had significantly less visits to the health center. This is physical health we're talking about. So the group that didn't do that had more visits to the doctor. So that should teach us something right there. One of my fa favorite uh, quotations is from the Gospel of Thomas, and it says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. The idea that we all have this genius that we need to bring forth. It's the same thing that I talk about in my other book, The Big Leap, that we have this genius zone inside of us that we need to learn how to bring forth. And if we can bring that forth, and use it to contribute to our own lives and especially to contribute to other people's lives, then we get to have a successful life. But if we don't do that work of bringing forth that essential stuff, we're going to go around feeling slightly dissatisfied all the time. And I don't want any human being on earth to feel that way. That's great. And Carol, you were involved in writing some of the, the books that I read when I first was introduced to positive thinking, if you will call it, or personal, you know, self-development, the, the chicken soup for the soul books that what I took away from that series, uh, and I didn't read all of them, but I was very involved. And also, uh, you guys mentioned Wayne Dyer and, you know, Neil Donald Walsh is a big, uh, one of my big guys and, and, and John Gray. And so inside of that context of, of positive thinking, what I took away from the chicken soup uh, series for me was like, be a good person, think good thoughts. That was how I distilled it. Right. And so, and you can both answer this obviously, but what is, if you were, if you were to have our, our listeners take away one thing from conscious luck, uh, maybe today or after reading the book, hopefully both, what would be the one thing that you guys want uh, a reader to take away from conscious luck? I'll give one, and I'm sure Carol has one. For me, start with the basic issue of commitment. Make a commitment to being luckier today than you were yesterday. It's simple. It won't cost you a nickel and takes 10 seconds to do it. But just launch the thought in your mind every day. Today, I'm getting luckier every day. I'm luckier today than I was the day before. So that would be my place, to make a commitment to being a very lucky person. And I would say that that is the mo and you can't go through a door that's not open. And that absolutely opens the door. And then from that open door place, the thing I would want people to take away is that it's 
a process of recommitment and practice. And that you have to, these seven steps, these eight steps were not random. <laughs> they are very intentional. They build on each other. And honestly, that luck, I think you got a little hung up in the metaphor about luck being a wind. Are you creating a wind? It's a metaphor that you create your life with your actions, your attitudes, and your associations. You are creating your luck right now. The, 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 and I love Gay talks about these, you know, the hawks that he saw with his wife when they were getting married. These beautiful, or I forget well, if you were getting married or recommitting your vows, but the point of the story is that these lucks where they were, these hawks were riding the currents and that you have the possibility by what you do, that it's up to you. Now, you'll, there is a random component to luck. Good things happen to terrible people. Bad things happen to wonderful people. It's not going to guarantee that you'll always be, have good things happen to you, but you can always make those things meaningful, powerful, and growthful when that's part of luck. So mm -hmm. I would just say, read the book, find those things, and do it. Make a commitment to yourself to be a lucky person and intentionally change your fortune. That's beautiful. So normally one could say, I wish you the best or good luck with the book. Well, how I'm going to end this, I'm going to say congratulations for writing such a successful and important book because that's what's happening with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Glad you to be talking to you. Thanks a lot, Roman. Same here. Thank you guys for taking the time to be on. And, uh, uh, I, this has been really enlightening. You guys are very inspiring. I, I'm going to, you know, experience luck today and I will report and I hope that our listeners will do the same thing. Uh, obviously, I highly recommend the book, Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. And we will, in the show notes, have uh, all the links to the Facebook group and how people can get in touch with you if, you, if they'd like and where they can get the book. I'm just really excited uh, for this to uh, be out there right now. So thank you with gratitude. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This was another episode of You Love Life. Until next time, be yourself, love always, and enjoy your life.